Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. One of the best things about having done as many shows as we've done on this show is that sometimes we get to follow up. And we've done it one other time before uh, with Patrick Riley. And it was such a great conversation to bring him back and to just follow up on his life. He has such amazing things to say, his progress, his growth. We thought, why stop? You know, we've had some amazing guests on the show who's given us amazing moments, and there was none better or that tops what Shonda Scott gave us when we did our special show on the Fox lot. Listen, I told you on that show that if I had a daughter, I would want my daughter to spend as much time with Shonda Scott as humanly possible. I have so much respect for her, so much honor that I give to this black woman who has just been able to hew out of the American mountain of despair, a stone of black woman, female hope. And um, she is an accomplishment. The last time she was here, we dealt with dating and her dating situation, how hard it is when you are accomplished and brilliant and capable to find someone who is on your level, right? It's not easy. So today I want to get an update. I want to know how she's doing. Yes, with the dating, because, you know, I'm interested in that. I love love. But I also want to figure out what's going on with her life writ large. And I'm going to give her an opportunity to give all of you some advice, because she's just that good. Welcome to the show tonight, Shonda Scott. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Sean. Hey, Miss Shonda. You. How you doing? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I have to tell you that you're absolutely beautiful, but I'm sure oh, you know that. You. Yeah, no, listen, I believe in telling people what you think about them. Someone's handsome or beautiful or smart. You should tell them. You know what I'm saying? Well, thank you, because I don't see me. You see me. So I appreciate you telling me, reaffirming that I'm beautiful. Yes, thank you. yes. And I'm from Brooklyn. So if I didn't think so, I wouldn't say it. You tell, oh, I know. You <laughs> tell us what you think. And I like your jacket, by the way, too. I like that jacket. Thank you. See, Juan, you didn't say that. Shonda said it. That's why I like her better than I like you. All right, Shonda, so let's, let, let, we got to cover this. So let's cover this right off the bat. Um, okay. How is your dating life? And dating situation going, or how how has it changed since the last time you were on the show? Well, I'm still dating. I mean, and I'm still getting into the mood of dating in the way that we talked about on the show. But interesting enough, uh, after our show, my uh, ex called me and came to town, and we actually went on a two day date. Um, really? while, while he was here. Yeah, it was interesting because I was able to, uh, you know, speak from my heart as you would advise. And we had a good conversation. It was funny because he was like, you know, I told him I'm dating with a purpose, with purpose now and intention. And he had to understand what that meant. And, you know, I told him about my whole 12 new things, doing something new and different mm -hmm. um, to see positive change in your life and all of that. And, you know, he was like so intrigued and excited about it all. So it was fun to have that conversation with him because it allowed me to, you know, have some sense of peace with our relationship and then also comfort with me being able to talk uh, comfortably with him about what matters of my heart, which mm. I feel like something that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable with in the past. You know, I was more guarded in that regard. But um, yeah, so that was good for me. Listen, if you were here, I would give you a big old hug right now. I mean, I would just give you a big old bear hug. That, that, I am so happy to hear that. 
Um, <laughs> because, you. because, and here's why: because with you, you got everything else. I mean, you got the right. purpose, you got the passion, you have the accomplishment, you have the re you're refined. Um, the only thing that was missing was just allowing your heart to speak. So the fact that you you say that tonight or you say this tonight, I'm just listen. I'm over the moon. But here's what I want to ask you. So you know, and I'm not getting your business, but how, how, how was the date with the ex? You know, did it feel good or strange? Well, it was interesting because it felt good at points. And then at other points, it just felt like I felt good about who I was in mm. the conversation for me. And we always had this level of respect for each other. So mm. that was fine. But I feel like um, it, it allowed me to just kind of purge some things and clear some things and just have a better sense of peace, especially going into the holiday season. Um, so that part of it was, and it was interesting to me because when he was communicating back, like, oh, you didn't date me like that. And I was thinking, that's interesting that you noticed that. Cause I, you know, I didn't, I guess, cause I wasn't, didn't have use those, uh, that I didn't have that necessarily that mindset at the time. Um, and we just had like, you know, just an honest conversation. It was something that we didn't necessarily always have, um, mm. or, you know, we always have respect for each other and we like talking to each other. We had good conversations but not necessarily heart to heart to that degree with me sharing my heart. I'm, I'm always able to get people to share their hearts with me, but not necessarily me sharing mine back. Mm. So um, for me, it was good. And it helped me kind of clear and clear out some things. And I think I needed to do that for, you know, my next. Yeah. Level. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm loving all of this. There's no part of what you're saying that does not excite me because here's what I hear you saying. What I hear you saying is not only are you more emotionally available for the other person, but you're more emotionally available for yourself. Right. Yeah. Say more about that. I want to hear about that. I mean, for me, it's free. it was freeing to me because um, I don't think I really thought about how I was unemotionally available, mm. but I knew I attracted people that were unemotionally available. So thus that must mean I must have been, but I didn't see necessarily where it was in me, mm. but you know, but I think it is, it, it, it has been hard for me to speak from my heart about things because I am more guarded that way. And it usually comes out in, you know, when I'm upset or something more so than when I'm just like pleasant and happy and just talking. And so, um, that part was freeing for me and uh, lighter, you know, make, making me feel lighter. But it's something I have to consciously still think about when mm. I'm talking because I automatically go into my cerebral mode. Mm. Um, so it but even coming back here gave me a chance to kind of revisit what I that experience and what that was like. So thank you. But listen, I, I was only able to identify that because I do the same thing. <laughs> so I'm like when I when I was talking to you, I saw myself in you because it's so much easier for me to be intelligent or to be cerebral, as you put it, intellectual <laughs> than it is for me to be emotional. Right. Um, or, or I can be emotional, but I'm not really good at sharing my heart with somebody. I'll tell you my mind in a minute, but I don't know. I don't always tell you my heart. So that's why I was able to identify it. And, and ironically, we were able to connect on that level. So I, I got a goofy, silly question for you, okay? Because I don't want this to be all serious and all that. Um, have you had, since the last time you were on the show, have you had a silly or ridiculous dating experience? I don't think since the last time I've been on the show, if I've had that. Okay, okay. I don't think the last time I've been on the show, I had anything silly and ridiculous that I can think of. No. So, so nothing happened where you were somewhere and somebody did something and you thought, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Jesus. Not that, I, not that I can think of. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. I mean, that's good. I was, I was, I was hoping to, that something funny may have happened so that we could all laugh, but that's fine. That's fine. I'm all. I'm. I'm all. It for may have, but it's just not at the top of my mind. But something funny, you know, something funny always happens. But I can't think of it. No, not at the top of my mind. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you are still 
um, in terms of your dating status, single. Um, and I'm wondering, do you worry about that? Or, or here's a better question. Do you worry about that more than people realize or no? That probably is yes. Probably. Mm. I probably do worry about it more than people realize it. Because mm. people just see, I mean, I am happy and I have a nice life. And I'm, and I'm comfortable in so many different situations that people just don't think about, like, checking on me or thinking I would have these kind of, you know, any concerns. So I think I think about it more than people probably realize I do. That's why I had to start also, you know, letting people know I'm interested in dating. So like, if you have people that you think I would be a good match with that are my inner circle, you know, mm -hmm. it's cool. you know, like they're not even thinking about that. They're thinking, Oh no, she's not worried about anything. Anybody. Yeah. I, I'm actually crazy. so, I'm actually so glad you said that. Um, because it is often the case that we don't check on strong people and we think that they're always strong. Um, I, I, I am so glad that you are able to say to people, hello, check on me. <laughs> right. Cause I actually had a situation It wasn't since we talked, but before, um, I had friends and I had introduced, they were friends one was just a friend friend and other ones were business and friends. And so immediately they they're sitting at my table at the event talking. And then all of a sudden they're there. I come back and they're all huddled. They're like, we're trying to figure out who we can introduce her to. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys, I'm first right of refusal. Like, how did you even have this conversation of trying to introduce somebody you just met? You have not ever once thought about it. They're like, oh, so I said, you know, but I don't ever lead with that in my conversation. And she, of course, was leading with that in hers. Like, I just want to meet somebody, you know, and I don't ever say that. So they didn't even think about it with me. So I had to like tell them, you know, pump your brakes. I get first right of refusal anybody. Then you can go introduce my other friends to somebody. <laughs> right. Right. That was no, I love that. I love that. And I love I love the notion and I want my audience to really get this. I love the notion of standing up for your emotional future, standing up for your emotional life and letting the people who love you know that it. I need to be loved in this area, too. I think uh, people don't and I could go on a whole thing and I'm I'm trying not to. But I think people don't know the power of telling the people in their lives, this is where I need you. This is how I need you. Because when we don't tell them, then they have to guess. Right. Yeah. And it is true. You do have to tell people because I, I only tell people because it just amazes me how people don't do certain things because there's things I just naturally do and think about. So I'm always interested to see. I'm like, well, maybe I haven't told them that's why they're not doing what I would like for them to do or doing what I'm doing for them and others. So I feel like that part of it is probably you do have to communicate more because people you don't know what other people are thinking and their impression of you. And, you know, people think you have everything figured out. They literally think unrealistically that you have everything figured out. And, you know, who does? Yeah. So I try to check on people a lot um, just because that's just how I am. And I just kind of always am thinking about other people in that way because this is real. Like, nobody has everything figured out. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm so glad, even more so, that you are allowing people to check on you, to care about you, to be concerned about the things that you're concerned about because my sense of you is that you're the person that people turn to when they need help or advice or problems or have issues. And I'm just glad that, and I want you to talk about this. I'm glad that you are now demanding reciprocity. Right. And that is important because actually um, years ago when I was engaged, that was part of the problem with our, one of the problems in our relationship on my side um, is that I had a lot of friends that always relied upon me and I was always there for them and always looking out for them. And he actually pointed out to me, you know, you're doing all this for them. It's kind of impeding some of our relationship. And then they don't really look it out for you that way. And at that time, you know, I was younger, I took offense to it and got all defensive about it. But in retrospect, you know, it's true. It was that way. And, you know, things showed itself to be true later on. I mean, it had nothing to do with our relationship, but it did have everything to do with how I how I how I wasn't requiring reciprocity of my friends and people that I were 
in relationship with that I cared about that needed to care for me the same way. And it just made me change like the circle and the people that I was with because that, you know, it made me evaluate it differently. And mm. I think we do that. Yeah, no, I, I really, I, I honor that. Tell me some things about you that have changed since you were young and you glad that they have changed. Oh, or I'm not so worried about having, you know, tons of people around me and in my life. Like I was young, when I was younger, I mean, I had all kinds of people around, all kinds of events all the time. Um, and I enjoyed it at the time. But now I, I, I do appreciate my solitude more now mm. than I did then. And I do feel like I want to have more quality of people than quantity of people. So that's changed. And then as I get older, I get less concerned about what others are thinking about how I'm moving in this space. That's why even when I came and talked to you and you said that, that is one area that I'm always having to work on is being okay with being myself and being vulnerable in circumstances and not so much worried about what another other people are thinking. Even though in my career, that's part of my, you know, secret sauce that I'm able to understand other people and how to move and how to do things in certain ways. But as far as personally, not having to feel that way so much uh, as I, especially as I evolve and get older. Yeah, no, I love that. So when we come back from this break, Shonda, I'm going to ask you about the attributes that you're looking for now since our conversation uh, in a partner, um, in a man. Um, and then I'm also going to ask you about some things that have left your life that you don't even miss. In fact, you're glad they're gone. Yes, people, we're going to have a good time. Don't you go anywhere. I can't wait to hear the answers to these questions right after this. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm talking to my sister Shonda Scott. So, Miss Shonda, um, I promised everybody I was going to ask you two questions. I'm going to start with this one. Tell me something um, that's left your life um, that you don't miss and you're glad it's gone. Oh, and I don't miss it, so I don't. So I have to remember what it is now. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, like I said, the weight of worrying about everybody else, that's mm. left me for just me spiritually. You mean something like physically that's left my life that I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it's gone? Well, I mean, for example, um, insecurity can leave your life, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not something you miss. You're like, I'm glad that's gone. Right, right. So yeah, like I, well, I would say, like I said, the way to worry about everybody else uh, above self. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad that's gone. Yeah. And being so concerned and having my feelings hurt when people don't do things that I want them to do the way I want them to do it. You know, I'm glad that's gone because well, I don't. You know, that's a good one. That that's a big one. That's a huge one, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Of all, a lot of times people give to get back and give it. We want it. You think the reciprocity is linear, and it, and so many times it is not. So your feelings get hurt if it's not. But um, you know, so now I decided to do what I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna do it, and whatever comes back is how it's supposed to come back, either from that person or. And I'm not talking about relationship as is a intimate relationship. I'm just talking about in general, even family. Now. Um, I do what I do because I want to and I do it. And then whatever comes back is fine. And I'm not really worried about it. Yeah, no, that's 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 the perfect way to be. I'm that way when it comes to money. So when I I don't lend money, I give it to you. Right. Um, and I'm not expecting it back because if I need it back, I'm not giving it to you to begin with. <laughs> right. yeah. And that stress is a lot to bear. You know, you're upset and you're mad at people and family and relationships are broken up behind that circumstance of giving and expecting it back as far as even, especially money. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about men. Okay. <laughs> so have your requirements, expectations, um, things you would like to uh, have in a man, have they changed at all since the last time you were here? Uh, I don't 
don't know if they've changed. I think they've gotten magnified. Like okay. I, like I said, I'm one is I, they started dating with purpose and intention. So, um, and then also I want, since I'm being vulnerable, I'm, my expectation is for them to be the same way in some sense. Yes. Um, yes. So that part, listen, listening and looking for that has probably been changed and magnified. Yes. That's an important one, by the way. Because yeah. if if you're in a conversation with somebody and the, and you're sharing and you're you know you're giving your heart and they're over there just taking it all all in and not giving anything, that's a red flag. True. <laughs> that is a red flag. Listen, either we all giving or ain't nobody getting. Right, right. <laughs> or at least it shows you where they are, where they're coming from. You know, it's just like okay, that's where you are. Right, right, right. I love that because now you get to decide if you want to put up with that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a really good one. So let, let's go over the list, all right? Because I want I want to, because he might be watching, right? He might be watching and he needs right. to know that he's the one. So let's go over the list. What, describe for me your ideal man. What does he look like? How does oh. he... Act, what does he say? Where does he work? Okay, well, ideal, but not limited to. Um, he he's I mean, he's tall, probably over six feet because I'm tall. Um, you know, probably well built, nice looking. Uh, God fearing is very important to me. Uh, that's huge. Um, and family oriented, likes to travel, you know, likes adventure. Uh, not controlling, <laughs> uh, but a free spirit in a sense uh, would be fine. And, you know, nice, kind, loving mm. those things. And uh, ideally, if they have children, I'd want them to be, you know, older children so we could have fun because my son is 26 and totally independent and self-sufficient. So it's just me and my, you know, life. Um, so that would be nice. And I'm like, what else am I missing? No, that's a great uh, list. Oh, so, oh, accomplished and successful. Cause that, that didn't matter to me younger, but I know that it does matter. Um, just as far as everybody's <laughs> comfort level. Yeah, no, it, it does. But that's a great list. And it's actually different from the one that you gave me the last time we were here. In fact, the order of the list was inverted. You started out with accomplishment and a sense of professional life. Um, and then we had to add some of the emotional stuff. Um, listen, you you are like my greatest success story. <laughs> when, the, when the legacy of this show is written, <laughs> they're going to show this episode because, I mean, really. Thank you. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Do, do you find it hard as an alpha female? Um, do you find it hard for men to deal with the fact that you are an alpha female? I, I I have to admit it is a challenge more so than I ever thought I w would be. Like for years, I think I didn't think that way, but clearly I see that it it is a challenge for for men in a sense. I don't know why, because I'm not alpha all the time. I'm alpha in business, but I'm probably you know some of that creeps into who I am because I just that's my personality. Um, I'm the oldest daughter, but my brother and I are twins now. That's a whole nother story. But, you know, so I've always been, I guess, a leader in that sense. But I'm not needing to do everything. Yeah. But I guess if you're not doing it, I might. <laughs> say something. You might say something. Yeah. So that part, I have to let people. That's my part that I have to work on. It's like let people do what they need to do, how it unfolds. I mean, I ha I'm having to do that in a, in a number of areas. So. And, and it's good for me because it gives me less stress, things less. I'm like, that's one less thing I have to worry about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised that it is a challenge for some men. So, yeah. Tell me what's wrong with men today. So, like, if, if you had to assess your experiences with men and dating, what what's wrong with us? What are we doing wrong? Uh, I don't really look at I don't really think about men, something being wrong with men, mm -hmm. really, you know, 
like a lot of my life path, I even, even if it didn't work out, I always look at well, me, what do I, cause I feel like it's supposed to be my evolution. So what do I need to do differently? And like, like I said, my whole 12 new things journey is about you doing something new and different with yourself. Like you changing self to see things change in your world. So, um, and I noticed that men are kind of roll with that. Like when women are feeling a certain way about themselves, the man reacts in a different way in your, in your life, you know? And I had this mentor of mine that would tell me that a man, one man will act different ways with different women. So a lot of it's based on like the woman's what vibe she's given off too. Um, and, you know, since I'm a mom that raised a son, I, I feel like a lot of what I poured into him was because I wanted him to be, you know, a good human being. Yeah. And that was part of me being his mother. And I felt like that role helped me kind of shape and mold who he is. So I don't really see it as like, what's wrong with the man that way? I, I, I have not ever really looked at it that way. Okay, well, Sh- Shonda, you are a sweet spirit and a great soul. So I'm going to answer my question for you. This is not from Shonda. This is from Dr. Sean. What most men need to do is to start telling the truth. Mm. We, need to, we need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves, with the women that we love, or whoever the hell it is that we love. Honesty. You don't protect people with a lie. You disrespect them with falsehood. When you love somebody, you tell them the truth. I'm not into you. Say it. I just want sex. Say it. I don't want to be married. Say it. I've never been committed a day in my life. Say it. I'm learning what monogamy is all about. When you tell people the truth, they can line up with you twice as fast. All right. That was from me, not Shonda. (laughs) Yeah, but it's tricky, too, because then as women, we have to be able to accept the truth, too. Come on. That's good. Yeah. And I always say I'm like with you. I'm like, tell me the truth. I'll work on what I have to deal with because you tell me the truth because I'm not going to mess you up because you told me the truth because I honor that. But it is not like into my mind. I'm like, it's the easiest thing to process. <laughs> right. You know, you, you made a great counterpoint. If you want the truth, you better be able to handle it. What's what's your best advice? Because uh, I told you at the beginning of the show, this one and the, and the last one, that I've been wanting my daughter to spend as much time around you as possible as a mentor. Uh, what's your best advice to little girls? What, what do you say to them to sort of inspire them? Well, I I tell them to be, you know, true to themselves Mm. and really um, not be so worried about, like I said, what other people are thinking, but be more more concerned about developing you spiritually, mentally and physically. And then like who you are, because if you like who you are, the circumstances that you are in will be what they are, but you'll still like you you know, and you can heal a lot of sadness and depression and things that would bring you down if you really have done the work on yourself and like who you are. I love and that. And kind of see the external as what it is and have to deal with it because none of it's easy, but at least you can like yourself. I love that. All right. So I'm going to go over time about a minute and uh, highly get the bump ready. I want to do something that we call, which would you rather have? <laughs> Okay. All right. You on it, brother. You are on it. All right. So give me some short answers to these. Uh, These are either or questions. All right. Which would you you rather have? A billion dollar business or a once in a lifetime romance and relationship? Ooh. A billion dollar business. (laughs) Profitable billion dollar business. (laughs) She's like, look, you better give me that billion dollar. All right. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Which would you rather have, security or adventure? Oh. Mm. I know, I know. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Pick one, pick one, pick one. Security, uh, security. Security, okay, that's fine. There are no wrong <laughs> answers, they're yours. Which would you rather have, someone who is professionally accomplished or someone who is an emotional genius? Uh, emotional genius. What's that? Line? Someone, what is that? Some, someone high emotional IQ. They really empathetic. They really care. They oh, know how accomplish, to accomplish. Accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> he might be more balanced. I think accomplished might be more balanced. <laughs> we gotta keep going. Which would you rather have? A weekend in Paris or a weekend in London? Paris, all day long. <laughs> Which would you rather have? 
a best-selling book that you wrote or a popular documentary about your life on Netflix? Best-selling book that I wrote. Okay, here's the, last, here's the last one. Which would you rather have, New York or L.A.? Hey, L.A. I like New York, but I love L.A. Listen, Shonda, thank you. Oh, I can't say both. <laughs> no, you got to pick one. But you already picked. You picked L.A. You picked L.A. You picked L.A. You're a California girl. Thank you for coming by today. Thank you. No, it, it, you made me a California girl. I'm like, oh, I am. I just don't think of it that way. I'm worldwide. Well, listen, that's even better. I stand corrected. <laughs> you are worldwide. And I always say this to you. You are so amazing. So absolutely amazing. And I want you to keep shining like the sun because the world needs you. Thank you. And I needed that. I appreciate you. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Listen, everybody, when we come back, I'm going to do AHA moment. Shonda taught me some things, and I want to share them with you right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So I had an AHA moment from that conversation with Shonda. Let's do AHA moments. So, talking to Shonda is such a pleasure, and especially this time, because I could hear in her conversation that she did something that most people don't do. When you ask for advice and someone gives you advice and it's good advice, apply the advice. Because what's the purpose of asking somebody to give you insight and then you reject the insight just writ large. When you listen to Shonda, you really get a sense that she's applied the advice that we talked about the first time she was here. She's sharing her heart and she's demanding and requiring that other people share their hearts with her. See, I'm that listen, I wish I I wish I could have given her a standing ovation because that is what we try to do here. The first time she was here, it wasn't really about matters of the heart or emotion, right? It was about other things, other important things, but not about that. You heard her tonight. It's about all of it. It's about being someone being professional and capable and spiritual, but also someone who's emotionally available. Nobody wants to date an icicle, <laughs> a frozen glacier. And she teaches us tonight that good advice is meant to be applied, not just agreed with. Teach Dr. Sean. That when, you get in the, when you're in the presence of really good advice, the job is to apply it, not to decide if you agree with it or not. Because sometimes you cannot ag agree with something and it still be good for your life. So the next time you ask somebody to give you some insight or advice or to help you figure something out, and you actually know in your heart and spirit that they're right, telling them that you agree means nothing. Live your agreement, and it will mean more to you than it will ever mean to the people who gave you the advice. All right, let's do some ask Dr. Sean Hiley. You guys always send me amazing videos. This one is no different. Let's take a look at it. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Rana Riff, and I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I wanted to ask you today about survivor's guilt. Um, at the time when I was 12 years old, I underwent a bone marrow transplant for my sister who was 18 who had leukemia. However, after the procedure, she did not survive and um, just due to complications after that. However, after she passed away, I did feel a lot of guilt and remorse and I felt like it was my fault. And I just wanted to know how, how do people cope with that guilt that survivor's guilt. Uh, is there any advice that you can give myself and others facing similar situations? Thank you. Thank you for that very important uh, and serious question. I think a lot of what you're probably feeling is also grief. And grief can manifest and it can hide in all types of places and in all types of ways. My first bit of advice may be the most pedantic and the most obvious, and that is, this is something you should talk about more. Some of the crosses we bear, we should not bear them in silence because we shouldn't have to bear them alone. 
I would find a community or a therapist or a person, whatever suits you, to talk about this experience and to talk about how you feel and to talk about probably most of all what your sister meant to you and how you feel about losing her. Survivor's guilt, you know, is one of those things that comes along and it's hard to shake. And it's hard to shake because we often never get to the place where we can accept that the past could not have been any different and that what happened cannot be undone and that none of us gets to choose the path that we're on. None of us get to choose what the consequences or the outcomes will be. We have to live in a perpetual state of acceptance. Radical, radical gratitude, <laughs> what am I saying? Radical gratitude and perpetual acceptance. Being able to accept that life has given us many different variables and choices and we have to live with the consequences and the outcome. Survivor's guilt is about thinking that something else should have happened or somebody else should have survived. It's about why me. It's about why didn't this happen to me. But here's my point that I want to make to you. You survived, and you survived for a reason. Instead of feeling guilty about that, spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what that reason is and live your life in such a way that you manifest that reason and you honor your sister's life with the fact that you have dedicated your life to making sure that the world not only knows about her death or even your sacrifice, but that the world understands that you've done something with your life. Takes a, takes a, takes a while to get there, but I'm believing that eventually you will. Thank you for that question. Listen, when we come back, we're gonna do some more Ask Dr. Sean right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So this is the part of the show where I answer your questions. Just like um, Shonda was here to get advice, many of you write me or send me videos, and someone emailed me this question. I'm married with two children. My mother's elderly, and I want her to move in with my family. But my husband thinks she will be a burden and suggested that we put her in a nursing home. I feel like he's making me choose between him and my mother. What should I do? Well, first of all, let me ask this question. What kind of man did you marry? <laughs> what kind of man, what kind of man did you marry that he has no, you know, sense of kindness and compassion for somebody's mama? I think one of the things people need to understand when they get married to someone else is that a part of the deal includes having to deal with parents who become elderly and need to be taken, taken rather care of. Um, it's very unfortunate that he's kind of put you in this position. I know what I would do, okay? You know, love your significant other, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not turning my back on my mama, okay? Don't make me choose between you and my mama. Don't make me do that. Because <laughs> you're not going to win, all right? person that taught me how to tie my shoe, changed my diapers, fed me. Hmm? No. Now, here's how you deal with him. What you, what you do with him is you put him in your mama's position and you say to him, because you, you, you told me that you had kids, what you say to him is this, when you get older into your 80s and your 90s and our children have to take care of you, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to stick you in a nursing home and for you to be attended by strangers and people who don't know you and don't love you and don't care about you? Or, or would you rather be around your children who can get support to help you stay in the company and in the community of people that love you? You see, loving anybody is a burden. Marriage, having children, having all of it's a burden. But some burdens are beautiful. Some burdens are actually debts that you owe people who have been good to you in seasons of your life when you couldn't even be good to yourself. Don't let anybody make you shirk 
or make you throw away that sense of obligation that you have to your mother. And I'm hoping you married a man who after he puts himself in your mother's shoes will understand that while it, it might change things to have her there, it doesn't mean that it's an insurmountable burden. You see, he needs to understand, you ready for this? That you reap what you sow. And that if you put out into the world a dispassionate, um, uh, objective, cold, sterile, non-concerning way of dealing with people, guess what comes back to you? And it comes back to you at the most inconvenient time. But when you put out love and sacrifice and the ability and the willingness to work to make sure that somebody else is taken care of, that comes back to you too. You understand that? To be cold and indifferent to the elders is a moral sin. And to just stick somebody somewhere and put them away, you are inviting the same treatment into your life. I would recommend that he not do that. And even if he can't understand anything else, it is time for you to put your big girl panties on, draw a line in the sand when it comes to your mama, and say, listen, sir, I love you to death. I'm your wife, no doubt about it, the mother of your children, but I will not abandon my mama. And that's just it. <laughs> then go in there and make them, you know, make them some pizza or something. I don't know. All right, we got one more. Got a video sent in. Let's take a look at it. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Jeffrey, and I want to open up my own restaurant. I've been in the medical field for several years, but I'm ready for something new. Recently, I've been telling my family and friends about my idea, and they have been shutting me down. What do I do? Well, listen, first of all, Hailey had the best advice for this question because I watched this question with him. And he had the best advice for this question. It's better than the advice I was thinking, actually. That doesn't normally happen with Hailey. <laughs> but it was good advice. Here's what Hailey said, and I'm endorsing. Start small and start realistic. Don't try to open up no big old restaurant and be Wolfgang Puck in two weeks but take incremental steps towards your dream so that you are, you know, cooking for family and friends on the weekends. And maybe then you, you know, uh, set up a pop-up, you know, where you're cooking for people and getting paid for it. But, but, but just be realistic about your ascension into your dream. Don't quit your job and then run off and decide, I'm gonna be a chef and no, no take gradual steps to get there. Because when you do that, you give yourself an opportunity to win and pursue your dream, while at the same time, you make sure that you have a roof over your head and you maintain your security. As it relates to your family and friends, it ain't their dream. People who are dancing will always look crazy to people who cannot hear the music. It's not their dream. No, I mean, they get to have an opinion, but their opinions are not authoritative because, wait for it, it's not their dream. They can't hear the music. But because they can't hear it doesn't mean that you should stop dancing. You know, I love family and friends. They're wonderful. They're great. But, you know, your mama ain't Jesus. And your dad ain't, you know, Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. People are people. And they bring all of the insecurities and brokenness that they've been through into the moment of advice. You should listen to what people have to say. You should adjudicate what people have to say. But if you still believe that this is what you're called to do, then go on and dance. Go on and cook. Go on and write the book. Start the business. Do what you feel you've been called to do. But do it with bravery and courage. But do it with a sense of realistic expectations as you move incrementally and the general direction of your dream and your own personal legend. You don't have to choose between security and between ambition and adventure. Sometimes you just have to scale it so that you can do it, do it well, and do it in a way that doesn't destroy you. All right, so good luck with that restaurant. I say go on and cook, okay? 
but make sure you're doing uh, this dream, this thing, in a way that brings honor to who you are. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to do Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Let's do a little bit of Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. So, Mohammed Chowdhury, have you heard of him? Mohammed lives in Boston and he was recently arrested and charged with one count of murder for hire after he allegedly tried to hire a hitman to murder his wife and her new boyfriend. Mohammed allegedly gave an undercover agent posing as a, con a contract killer for hire information about his estranged wife, her boyfriend, including where they lived, where they worked, schedules, as well as photographs with the instructions to murder them and to make sure that the evidence did not trace back to him. Allegedly. Muhammad allegedly sought to pay $4,000 for the murder and put down a deposit of $500. Now, before we go any further and deal with the more interesting parts of this story, let me just say that $4,000 is not enough money for me to risk the prospect of going to jail for the rest of my life. Muhammad is not only a allegedly scurrilous murder seeker, he's also cheap. $4,000? Would you kill somebody? Of course, we don't want anybody to kill anybody, but would you even consider doing something crazy, I'll put it that way, for $4,000 with a $500 deposit? Listen, I don't think anybody should murder anybody. I don't want anybody to murder anybody, and I would never murder anybody, but you better believe it ain't gonna get done for $4,000. And the deposit would have to at least be half. Not no $500. That's the devil. But back to the story. You see, this was a legit, allegedly, murder for hire situation. And then we can learn a lot from this because apparently Mr. Um, Chowdhury, I was going to call him Mr. Muhammad, but that's his first name. Mr. Chowdhury was apparently estranged from his wife. They weren't getting along. And instead of walking away and letting it go, uh, Mr. Chowdhury decided, no, I can't let it go. I'm going to have a kill. Beloved, hear me when I tell you this. Instead of moving on with his own life and finding someone who he could love and who would love him, he obsessed over somebody he couldn't have and somebody who was done with him and no longer his. And I'm trying to figure out, why do we think that people belong to us? They don't belong to us. Just because you've slept with somebody and laid down in the bed and did the horizontal mamba doesn't mean that they belong to you because they don't. And what is the problem that we have in this culture where we can't move on? Beloved, when it's over, it's over. When it's done, it's done. When the relationship has run its course, it's run its course. And instead of trying to get somebody back or hurt somebody more, why don't you move on to the better parts of your life? Why don't you see it as the fact that you dodged a bullet and now you don't have to be bothered with somebody who would have messed up your life anyway? Sitting around trying to figure out how to hurt somebody. Why don't you sit around and try to figure out how to help yourself? Let's move on. Let's talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> so I bet Donald Trump has regretted since the day he left the White House, the fact that he ever tried to be president. Because he's in so much trouble that it's, it's, it's unbelievable how much trouble Donald Trump has gotten himself into since he left office. So check this out. Trump is being sued for defamation of character. He's also been accused of raping, allegedly, Gene Carroll. Gene Carroll is accusing and suing Donald Trump for defamation of character, and she has claimed that he raped her, according to her. She's in currently involved in litigation and made Donald Trump have to take a deposition. And for those of you who don't know what a deposition is, whenever you take, whenever you sue somebody, often um, you have to do a deposition. You have to answer questions under oath, and it's videotaped and all of that, okay? But if you lost, it means you can't lie. All right. Gene Carroll has accused Donald Trump of rape. Now, a part of Donald Trump's defense against the rape charge is that he said, listen to me, that Gene Carroll was not his type. He said, there's no way I could have raped her. She's not my type. 
I ain't attracted to her. Now, of course, all of us who have good sense know that being attracted to somebody has nothing to do with raping them. Hello, rape is about violence and power. But Donald Trump's defense has been, I could have never have raped this woman because I'm not attracted to her until we get to this moment. In the deposition <laughs> where Donald Trump had to tell the truth, he was shown a photo of Jean Carroll, black and white photo of Jean Carroll, the woman who's suing him for defamation and the woman who's accused him of raping her. He was shown this a photo of her. And in the deposition, when Trump saw the photo, he said, and I quote, oh, that's Marla. That's Marla. Yeah, that's my wife. Yes. Donald Trump confused a photo of the woman who has, who has accused him of rape with the photo of his wife. Now you say, what's the point, Dr. Sean? Donald Trump's defense has been, there's no way I could have raped Jean Carroll because I'm not attracted to her. She's not my type. And yet when he's shown a photo of her, he confuses Jean Carroll with the woman he was obviously attracted to because he married her and had some baby. And you don't have babies with somebody unless you're attracted to them in some kind of way. Poor Donald Trump. Y'all need to pray for him. Those of you who are more Christian than I am. Because <laughs> I'm not praying for him at all. But I just want to tell you at the end of this show, liars do what liars do. Liars tell lies. I'm just saying. And when a liar tells a lie, you can't get mad. Because that's what liars do. What you need to do is what Gene Carroll is doing, holding liars ac accountable for the craziness they put out in the world. Allegedly. <laughs> so, you know, I gotta, I gotta cover myself. All right, people. Amazing follow-up conversation with Shonda. And for all the little girls and all the beautiful black women, I honor you and respect you and think so highly of you. I pray that um, tonight's show has inspired you and made you want to continue to do amazing things and be amazing people. Life is a succession of opportunities and challenges. And when you're in the presence of great advice, make sure that you take it and apply it, okay? Listen, everybody, I'll see you next time, okay? You all of you are amazing. Be good to each other. I love you.